0: Turn in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 13 if you've got it with you. We're um, doing something this summer with, it, with our summer series called Summer Jams. And basically what we've been doing is taking Old Testament stories like Ruth and David and Goliath and creation and the last week we talked about Noah. All these stories that, that many of us are familiar with, that we know about, that we learned in, in Sunday school and talking about how they point to Jesus. And, and today... We're going to talk about a story that maybe not many of you are familiar with. It's kind of sandwiched in between a bigger story, and we're going to kind of drop in. We're going to parachute in and look at this piece of this story. And here's where it's kind of birthed from. A few weeks ago, I was sitting um, down in North Carolina on a couch with a friend, and and uh, and, and we catch up from time to time. And he looked at me and he said, "You know," he said, "I feel like at least in my church, or just you know." With, with conversations that I have with other Christians, or with other church folks, and stuff like that, that when we pray, we're not even we're not even realizing and expecting God to to respond to what we're praying for. Like we're just like we're just lip servicing, right? Like we're just praying the expected things, right? But we're just like like you know, I imagine I imagine when they prayed for rain. Right in the Old Testament, or I imagine like, like like when somebody when somebody prayed for something in Scripture, like like the Scriptures say that David cried out to God seven times a day, in the fields. Like, can you imagine that? Like, that's not a that's not a meal prayer, right? Like when I picture crying out to God, that's doing some business with God. Like that's that's some tears on the pillow, right? And that's that's some intense prayer. And what my friend was talking about was. He says, you know, we're we're praying, like we're puppets, you know. He says, like we're we're praying, like we're just walking through the motions, and yet and yet we're so desperate, like we're more desperate than we ever have been. We don't recognize it, right? Like like there's conflict, there's confusion, right? Do I do this? Do I take a stand? Do I submit to it? Like like what? Where am I supposed to go? And yet we're running all around, having these conversations, complaining right, wrestling and all of this, but yet we're not going to the feet of Jesus, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. And here's and here's kind of the, 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 the crux of it. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17 says this, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. What a verse. And my question for us this morning is we kind of because we've got to do this, and we, and look, 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 let's pause, time out, right? Because Dylan and I were talking about this week, like, we were like, you know what, man, like, everybody, you know, everybody's going to camp, and so Sunday's just going to kind of be about camp day, it's going to be light, low energy. Here's what we need to do, we need you to flip the script, okay, we're going to have some fun in this second service, all those camping people, like, they're already up there, they're going to eat a terrible lunch for lunch, okay, I it's not good, okay, and so, and so, there's no place I'd rather be than right here with you. We we we're going to dive into some stuff this morning. That that Jeremiah verse, Ah, sovereign Lord, right? First of all, do we believe that He's sovereign? Right? Like that, like that's the first thing. Like like if God is sovereign, if God is who He says He is, meaning right that that nothing takes Him by surprise. He's not surprised. He's not shocked by anything. He's not taken back by anything right? Everything is in His will. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth. When we pray, we're praying to the God that has created the heavens and the earth by His great power and outstretched arm. Nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing, nothing is too hard for you. Exactly. Nothing is too hard for you. And my question for us this morning is, do we believe that? Do we believe that That God can do anything. Do we really believe that there's nothing too difficult for God? So today, we're going to look at God's omnipotence. Now, that's a big word to basically say the all-powerfulness of God. That God is all-powerful. So when we say that God's omnipotent, what we're saying is that God's all-powerful, right? My, My little boy Ezra, he's six. He came to me. Uh, in between services because he was leaving with Grandy with, with to go take a nap before camp and, uh, and then he's going to ride up a little bit later and he came to me and he said I hope you have a good second sermon daddy. And he's like what did you learn about in, uh, in, in, in service which he calls it service, that's what it be okay? but we're he was standing out there on a rock wall and he like, what'd you what did you learn about service today? and I was and I was like god is all powerful and he's like like captain america <laughs> <laughs> Sure, man. Like have, I mean so for a six-year-old mind, like we could probably roll with that. Right? Like that I'm not sure that's total heresy. <laughs> for some of you that might be, let's keep it with the six year but like, you know, you get where you're saying, right? So omnipotence is just this big word to talk about how God is all powerful, but there's three attributes about that, that I want to work that I want to talk about before we introduce the story, as we're introducing this story, right, that work in tandem. And here they are, three attributes about God that work in tandem. God knows what needs to be done. God knows what needs to be done. Again, in his all in his omnipotence, right, in his all-powerfulness, and his all Captain America S, right next, right, he is, he knows exactly what needs to be done. Secondly, he's always wherever he needs to be. He's always wherever He needs to be. He's always wherever He needs to be. Even when, even when, and I know if you're anything like me, you get into this into this mode, into this mindset, my prayers aren't even hitting the ceiling. God has, like, left me, and He's dealing with Mark, which makes sense, because Mark's needs, needs some God, right? But, like, like, my prayers aren't even hitting the ceiling. God is no, like, He's not listening. Right? And we doubt the sovereignty, the power of God. Okay? And, and we all fall into that, right? But what one thing we need to know and choose to know is that God knows what needs to be done. He's always wherever he needs to be in order to do whatever needs to be done. In order to do whatever needs to be done, and he has the power to do it. So he he knows what needs to be done. He's wherever he needs to be in order to do whatever needs to be done. And thirdly, he has the power to do it. So, we're going to pick up the story, 2 Kings 13, verses 14 through 19. Now, I'm going to go over, and in my notes, it's two paragraphs worth of information that's going to summarize about a book and a half of the Old Testament. Okay, so there's a lot of information that's packed in, so I'm giving you like an 80,000 foot view, and then like I said, we're going to parachute in to the end to the end of Elisha's life, okay, uh, to, to, to look at um, the, the truth that I want to talk about today. After Elijah, okay, not Elisha, Elijah, okay, he was an Old Testament prophet, confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he ran for his life, he ran for his life, okay, and found himself in Horeb, alone and exhausted. Now, time on again, if you're new or recent to church, or maybe you've been in, in church for quite a long time and always struggled with the names, okay, this morning's going to be no different, okay? This morning's going to be no different. There's some names in here, and it's just like, wow, okay? That is not an in any baby book, um, okay? But uh, he came, He found himself in Horeb, alone and exhausted, and in the midst of Elijah's depression, God said three things would occur. Okay, He said three things would occur. So you can find these things in the first book of First Kings, in the, in the first part of 2 Kings. Okay, first that Elijah would get an assistant in the form of Elisha. Now I preached on that uh, a little less than a year ago. The story of how Elisha was called, and you may remember um, <clears throat> he was uh, staring at the he was tending the fields, oxen. Right and, and and Elijah showed up and put his cloak on, him, which would have been a big deal because what Elijah was doing here was calling him to be his disciple, right? Saying, "Hey, I've got plans for you. God has God has called you to follow me to do this with me. Right? You're going to be my brother in the ministry. I'm going to teach you everything." Right? And Elisha didn't skip a beat. He went in, right? Left his family. He burned the plow, right? So he's burning his plan B, never intending to come back. To tending to the fields because God had now called him to the work of the ministry through the prophet Elijah. So we know that that happened, right? Elisha was going to come and, and help Elijah. Second thing that would occur was that, that Israel's king Ahab, who was a very bad person, a very bad king, okay, would be completely destroyed by Jehu, his commander. Okay, and we see that that had happened in just a few moments when we get into our text. And then third, Hazael, okay, H-A-Z-A-E-L, A-E-L. Hazel. thank you, I, I don't know why I get so tripped up, you should see me on Thursdays practicing these up in my office. And then I get here on Sunday morning, I think I get just so excited or nervous. His mic's right here, Now I just mess up, okay? But that, but the, the H guy was going to come to be the next king of Syria. Now, all these things had taken place, okay? All three had taken place. Elisha had taken over from Elijah. Jehu had been destroyed by the house of Ahab, and now the grandson Jehoash was the king of Israel, and Hazael had been had killed uh, Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Assyria. And now Syria was a constant trouble to the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay, This is where we're picking up. All right? So catch that. Essentially, God had given Elijah three things that were going to happen. All three of those things have, ha- have happened. Okay, Elijah's passed away. So basically, you can summarize the whole paragraph of this. God did what he said he was going to do. Right? God did what he said he was going to do. But now... Now, uh, Syria was a constant trouble to the northern kingdom of Israel, okay? A constant trouble to the northern kingdom of of, of Israel, okay? Both Jehu and and ah, Jehovah had been defeated by Syria, and now Israel's military was almost completely destroyed. Only 50 horses, 10 chariots, a few thousand soldiers remained. You can see that in verse 7 of chapter 13. To fight the many thousands of soldiers of Hazel's army. And the situation was desperate. And it seemed that Syria would surely destroy Jehoash and Israel. And in the midst of this darkness comes an unusual encounter. Verse 14 through 19 of 2 Kings chapter 13 says this. Now when Elisha had fallen sick. With the illness of which he was to die. Jehoash king of Israel went Down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians and Abba, until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck the ground three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him. and said, you should have struck five, or maybe six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of them. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. The next verse starts with, so Elisha died. And so we see this interesting encounter here. And when it comes to the arrow of victory in this story, this kind of right in the middle of a lot of things happening in the Old Testament. Some things coming together. We see this encounter about an expectancy of a sovereign God. An all-powerful God. And, and, and how we can walk in victory and claim the promises of God. And there's four things I want to point out to you about that. The first one is this. In order to walk in victory, we've got to, number one, admit our need. Now, that's a big deal, right? Because the first thing that that means is that we've got to humble ourselves and recognize that each and every one of us in this room has a need. We all have a need. Right, each and every one of us having for some of us it might be monetary, for some of us it might be physical, for some of us it might be emotional, for some of us it might be spiritual. Right, but each and every one of us that walk into and fill an imperfect church every Sunday, has a need. Has a need. And that's a hard thing for us to grasp, isn't it? We don't like to ask for help. So what we do is we walk into church on Sunday. Hey, how things? Good. Good. When half of you argued on the way any church this morning. Right? Well, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to put that on you. Probably 80%. Okay? No, I'm just, I'm just messing. Right? 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 But we walk in and say, good. Oh, oh, how's your week been? Just fine. Just fine. Right? Dylan has a saying when it comes to fine feelings I'm not expressing. <laughs> feelings I'm not expressing. There was a movie. Day, Kristen and I really enjoyed back in college and they, they said freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, right? Sums it up, right? And, and every time I tell that to somebody or Dylan says feelings I'm not expressing to somebody, they pretty much the light bulb goes off and they're like, yep, yeah, that's me, right? And 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 here and here's the thing when it comes to admitting our need, right? We see right here Eli- Elisha had fallen sick. With the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And what he's saying there, when he says the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, is we don't have enough men to fight this battle. Right? Our army is wounded, we're dwindling, and yet we don't have enough men, we don't have enough horsemen, we don't have enough resources. To fight this battle, and he's weeping before Elisha, saying, What am I supposed to do here? And he's admitting his need. And many of us are in desperate situations we're in broken situations, hurtful situations, lonely situations, confusing situations, and yet we sit in church mute about oh, it. And here's what breaks my heart about this is that that is exactly why, this is exactly why God gave us the gift of the body of Christ. Right? You have a need and it's how it's He how designed you. Design, right? Your ear itches. You can take your hand and you scratch it. Right? Like, like there's a need and, and I'm meeting the need, right? Right? And, and, and we, can, we can do that, right? We can talk about, anyway, right? But as is with the body of Christ. And the first step is admitting our need. And as I started with this point, before, before, before you go, before you go, as I started with this point, it's important to remember. And let me remind you one more time. None of us are exempt from this. Each and every one of us sitting in this room has a need. Has a need. The king was upset. Over the illness of Elisha, because it represented the last of God's power, which was Israel's last hope. Because Elisha was was that hope, right? He was the he was the 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 mediator, right, between God and this king. And so he comes to him, the chariots and the horsemen, right? These were the same words that Elisha said to Elijah earlier when he was taken by God. Okay? And so what, is, what it means was, as Elisha goes, with no successor, it was unclear who would be the next prophet to take Elisha's place, the first step with dealing with the issues in our lives is to recognize our need and go to the one that has the power to help us. To recognize our need and go to the one that has the power to help us. We see this in John chapter 5, verse 2. Let me read this story real quick. It's going to sound very familiar. In Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, And here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been there for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he was an invalid, replied, I have no one to help me. Get into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, Someone else goes ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat. And then once he was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. See, the man believed what he had been told. He believed what he had been told. That if by some magical way the water was stirred and you were the first to get in, you would be healed. And he spent all this time and energy chasing after that dream only to recognize that Jesus was the only way to be healed. Paul understood that truth, and he wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, verse 10, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am Strong. It's so countercultural. Come on. When you read verse ten, where Paul says, "For the sake of Christ, for the sake of Jesus, I delight in." What was the last time this was your? What was your immediate response? I delight in weaknesses and insults. Somebody insults me. I don't delight in that. That is not my first reaction. It's not right. Insults. Uh, he goes on persecutions, difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Uh, Kristen, some 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 of you know I've been wrestling with back pain and all the that. You know, and 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 Kristen got me this new mat that you lay on, that I'm calling my torture mat. Okay, and it's called acupressure, and it's supposed to imitate acupuncture, in 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 the most torturous miserable painful way my back Friday night when I tried this thing on, uh, for the first time I felt like I was on fire like I like I gave my life to Jesus all over again because I didn't want to go there right and, and, and it was like I, I laid on this thing and Kristen's like you've got to persevere past the first 45 seconds because then it gets blissful I'm like blissful. <laughs> There's nothing about this that's blissful. She's like, no, read the article. I'm like, yeah, because everything you read on the internet is true, <laughs> right? She said, this is why I got this for you. It's gonna change your life. No, Jesus changes my life, me. <laughs> right? And 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 so she's and so so I tried it a couple of times and I couldn't do it. I couldn't get past thirty seconds, man. I tried it, so then like, I, 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 I put a, a towel down, thinking if I could just like, get used to it, but it defeats the purpose. Ashley's over here, shaking her head, she's thinking, no, oh, that's not the way you're doing Kristen. Um, okay, um, But, uh, but, but yeah, so I did that just to try to ease into it, right? And then, uh, and then something miraculous happened. I laid on that thing, and about 90 seconds in, I'm like, whoa, oh, hold on a second. Right, and it got really good. So guess what I did last night? I went back and laid on that thing, and I had I had my 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 my, my, my teething towel like like my dirty <laughs> towel, right, for the first like 90 seconds. But then it got it got blissful. I can, I can I'm not telling you to go and buy one of these things. Just use mine if you want to. It's in the truck. You can use it before you. Leave them taking it to camp. I mean, I'm ministering to teenagers this um, But how many of us quit before it gets good? Right? We give up before the promises of God are fulfilled. We stop fighting before victories happen. We stop. And and, and as I was thinking about this last night laying on this torture mat, I was thinking what if Paul would have put, I was thinking about this verse, thinking about the book of Acts, Paul in prison, Philippians, Ephesus, All, all these places where Paul, like I read that and I'm like, Paul, dude, stop. But he didn't. Right? Like every time he kept going in the name of Jesus, knowing where his strength and his power came from, and then writes this verse, For us today, therefore I delight in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because all knew for where his power and his victory and his strength was going to come from. Amen. And it wasn't inside himself. It was in the Spirit of God. Admit your need. Admit your need. Which, which, by the way, by the way, um, if you want to pray specifically tonight and tomorrow night, tonight and tomorrow night, I'm talking to a group of 6th through 12th graders about how they can do hard things. They can do hard things. Um, and so, if you want to pray specifically, I'll just leave you with that. Um, but I'm really excited uh, for that message tonight and tomorrow. Number two, believe in faith. It's fascinating as you read through this. I'll, I'll, I'll speed up a little bit, okay? It's fascinating as you read through this, okay? That that Elisha told the king to get a bow and arrows. What did he do? He got a bow and arrows. He told him to draw it. What did he do? He drew it. He told him to open the window eastward. He did it. Right, told him to shoot it. He shot. Every time we see Elisha right, tell the king to do something, he responded. right. And often we think that the answer to our own problems lies within our own strength, and it does not. We need to follow God's directions, the obedience that the king executed and demonstrated here with Elisha on Elisha's deathbed, right, is, is phenomenal. And there's a place... When it comes to faith, and we talked about it last week with Noah, right? There's a place where we just have to trust God. Right? We have to trust that God is God, and we're not. Um, A couple couple times on uh, our vacation uh, a little bit ago, I got the opportunity to go zip-line. Now, now here's the thing. You, You put a little contraption on a cable that's tied to two places and you just step off a platform and trust these ropes and harnesses that were put on you by these 16-year-old kids, nothing is 16-year-old kids, whose attention to detail in my experience of working with teenagers is not very high, right? And add one more variable in that in every zipline we researched I don't know how to say this, where it's not super embarrassing so I just got to go there. I tow the line with the limit, <laughs> okay, because Papa's spiritual gift being food, all of that. My house, I've got clean up, I've got four kids, don't want food to go, with. all of the different things, right, all my excuses, right, for i big bones, Okay, all those different things, right? I told a but and so, and so it sums up lines, I'm like, oh, you're great, right? Others, ah, oh, this, we'll see how they're feeling, right? Like, like sometimes you walk into places like that and they don't even have to get on the scale, they just, you, you wear a black t-shirt, which is super slimming, and they just look at you and they're like, ah, oh, he's good, there's no way, right? And you're just like, yes, right? I'm like, God, but yes, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, and so one in particular walked in, and, uh, and the lady immediately <laughs> looked at me and said, uh, yeah, could you jump on the scale, which automatically makes you feel great, right? <laughs> uh, so jump on the scale, and, then, and she didn't even say anything to me. She just radioed to her manager and said, I need you to come out here. And so I was anticipating the manager to come out and be like, hey man, yeah. Uh, lay off the ice cream and come back in a couple years and we'll see what happens. And and so he came out and uh, he looks at the number. I'm still on the scale. Nobody's addressing me yet, right? And then he radios out to the guy on the tower that says, how's the wind today? Right? And so I'm already thinking, no. Like, we're not, if you've got to ask, What the wind's doing? I think I'm better off here. Like I love my church, my kid. Like there's some things I want to do, right? I'm not ready. I mean, I'm ready, but I'm not. Like you know, I'm doing a spiritual battle within, right? And so the guy radios back a bunch of numbers and letters that I didn't pick up, comprehend, or get. And the manager, Mr. he talks you down, and he looks at me and says, "You're good." Oh. Whoa, like what if the wind shifts? Right? Like, like, we should think about this a little bit more. Right? But if I... Come to find out, the wind did shift. There was a thunderstorm, and we could not go after all about 15 20 minutes later, so we didn't even go. Went all of that embarrassment and trouble for absolutely nothing.
1: That's not sovereignty.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, we're going to stop this and... Go with some White House, so you can come back and do this. <laughs> and, 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 right? But it, but 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 I was putting all if I did, which I did I put a harness on, right? Went outside and then the lightning happened and shut the whole thing down immediately, right? But I was putting my faith and my confidence in whoever it was. I never saw the person that was out on the tower reading the wind. Right? And, the, and the, this manager, right, who checked the wind, looked at me, thought that it was a good idea for me to go and attempt this, right, Which I'm going over the Grand Canyon. So, like, if something happens, <laughs> it's over, right? Like, I mean, and i come to grips with that, right? But, like, you're just trusting and you're believing in faith, right, that that thing's going to hold you. My question for us in this. When's the last time you trusted God with something big? Like, like, when did you make a decision consciously to say, you know what, I have no clue. I have no idea how this is going to turn out. I have no idea if the resources are available to do this. But this is what God's asking me to do, and I've got to do it. And I'm not trusting. And I'm not trusting. Mm-hmm. I'm not
1: trusting.
0: Mm-hmm. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For every person that's tired, disconnected, lonely, confused here today, hear, hear this. Take my yoke upon and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in you in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, when we're yoked to Jesus, two things happen. The first thing is our steps are guided. Right, an oxen yoke is to keep these oxen together, going in the same direction. Right, when we're yoked with Jesus, when we're yoked to Jesus, our steps are guided. We just have to go with. In, in step with that yoke, right? Our steps are guided. My brother's laughing about the ziploc story because he knows it's true. Second, our burdens are lifted. When we're yoked together with Jesus, he carries the weight for us. And here's the truth our need all day long, but if we don't believe in faith and trust in the power of God and not in our own strength in times of difficulty, we're in struggle. We're going to struggle. Third one, speak in faith. So we saw how the king was obedient. Elisha even laid his hands on, 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 on uh, uh, the, the king's hands as he was drawing the boat. It's a beautiful picture, right? And all of that. Um, but if you look at the second part of verse Seventeen, He says, the Lord's arrow, the arrow of victory uh, over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Africa until you have made an end of them. We see Elisha speaking in faith over this king. After shooting the arrow, Elisha declared, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. You will completely destroy it, right? And so part of believing in faith is speaking in faith. He spoke God's will into the situation. And and here's where we get to the point where we've got to have kind of that churchy conversation that if we're going to speak in faith, what are the words that we're to speak in faith? The words that we're to speak in faith are the words of God. They're the words of God. Right? It's hard to speak and claim promises of God over situations over, over 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 concerns and over needs if we're not in the word of God right this has this is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword we talked about that right we as a body of Christ ought to be in the word of God in the word of God so that we're able to speak in faith I'm often amazed at the words that people speak about themselves in their situations. See, the words we speak come from our minds, and they, they influence our mind, and the more we say something, the more we believe it's true, amen?
1: Mm. <coughs> now, what
0: I want to say to you with this is words matter. Words matter. Right? Words matter. <coughs> Where are you getting your words? I have a friend who's a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I got to spend some time with him while we were visiting Nashville. And uh, <clears throat> he posted a picture this past week. It was a bookshelf. And uh, it, the, the caption was, the seven best books I've ever read. seven best books I've ever read, right? So get your pen out get ready. You want to hear some good reading? The seven best books he's ever read. All seven were copies of the Bible. He read one. In, I don't know, 2013, 2014. They're all they're all uh, dated with the year because he's big on the Bible in the year. So he spends a year with the Bible and all of that. That's where I got that from. I know I know a lot of people do the Bible in a year, but he's the one that inspired me to do that. So anyway. Anyway, you know, like seven best books he's ever read. Seven, uh, seven Bibles right together in the last seven years. Right? And he's, he says, look, man, there's nothing that's changed my life more than being in the Bible, more than just preaching it on Sundays. In the same way, I'm convinced that there's nothing more transformational for you. You can just come to church, and you'll be as frustrated and disconnected as you feel right now if you just come to church. But if we leave church and we spend time in this relationship with God that we're talking about and we open our Bibles during the week, yeah, you, you can actually do that, right? And spend time with Jesus in prayer and spend time with Jesus in the Scriptures, you're like, you're, not, you're no longer a spectator, right? That's where transformation happens. Transformation happens. And so speak and pray. And then lastly, Act in faith. Act in faith. You can put in parentheses with this one. You can put in parentheses with this one if you want to. Walk in victory. Okay? Act in faith. Walk in victory. So, admit our need. Believe in faith. Speak in faith. Act in faith. Walk in victory. My favorite part of this this little snapshot of the story is right here. Okay? Last two verses. Alright? 18 and 19. He says, and he said, take the arrows. So imagine, right? I was going to bring in Ezra's plate arrow set, but I thought it would be too dangerous because I would not want to shoot them at people and it just <laughs> wouldn't be good. So I, I didn't bring it, okay? Um, but 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 you've got a quiver full of arrows. And he said to him, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, so again, Elijah's on his deathbed. Says to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him he said, you should, have, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you made an end of it, but now you only struck down Syria three times. The answer to the king's problem was not in the hands of Elisha, but in the hands of the king. And the response of the king determined the answer to the king's problem. The king was told to strike the ground with the arrows, and he did it three times, but he stopped. The way the king responded showed his heart. The arrow with which the king was given was an arrow of victory. And here's the truth that we, I want you to see this this morning, is that we too have been given a victory, an arrow of victory. And his name is Jesus we have the power and authority to move out and destroy the enemy. However, far too often, we don't use the power we're given. And you may be, saying, you may be sitting here today saying, you know what, man? I, I, yeah, that's speaking faith point. You know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to read my Bible more. Great. Right? Do it. Right? Do it. Do it. Right? I want to grow in Christ. Do it. I want to serve God. Do it. God has done his part. It's time for us to do ours. You have many arrows of victory in your quiver today. God has given you many opportunities to grow and mature in your faith, as well as many opportunities and places to serve. Henry Blackaby, who wrote Experiencing God years ago, said this, We should attend things so great that they're doomed to failure unless God intervenes. When the last time you attempted something so great that unless God showed up, it wouldn't happen? When we depend upon organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend upon education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon man, we get what man can do. But when we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. We get what God can do. And so, who are you in the story? Are you the king that's only striking three times? Are you willing to Are you willing to sit and say, you know what? I'm going to strike as long as I have to. I've been I've been uh, uh, fascinated lately by a stonework. I don't know if you've ever I don't know if you've ever seen anything, or you like me have just sat around night and said, you know what? I want to see how they cut stones. And so you get on YouTube, which is where you can, it's you know, way better than going to the library, right? Anyway, I don't want to read the book. I watched a movie, right? Hold the switch, put a song. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Right? And so one night I was thinking about stone crafting. Just really curious how these people, you know, cut stones and how they do that. Bruce has probably seen this stuff, right? And so I watched a 10-minute video, okay, and learned everything I needed to know about Stonecraft. I learned that it's not my gift. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> and I was fascinated, and they started out, uh, this guy had been working with rocks for 43 years, right? And so they, he, he said, you know, all the, all the young guys, they cut corners, and they use this saw or this saw, right? But they don't get the real finished, the, the natural edge. And so the guy is recording the video, he says, well, how do you do that? And he said, well, you take a hammer and, you know, you can put some holes in it if you want to really try to, mani- you know, manipulate or how you want to cut the rock or whatever, but basically you just start hitting it. And you try to hit it evenly in about four places, right, you hit it. And it may break on the 200th hit. It may break on the 800th hit. It may break on the 1,200th hit. But at some point that thing's going to break and it's going to snap and it's going to cut, right? And and they did this, and I'm sure it was time, and I know it was time, because okay? this guy hit on this for like an hour and a half. Um, you can see the, the the time running, and it broke off. And it wasn't it wasn't what he wanted to happen. It wasn't what he intended to happen. And so after 43 years, you saw this guy. He still he still was doing things that 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 that, 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 that didn't turn out exactly the way he planned on. So he chucked it to the side. He said, "We'll probably use that for something else." And he said, "But well, let's try another one." And then he goes, and this one cut, he he hit for about two hours and 15 minutes, he hit and it cut perfectly. He's like, that's how you do it. You can see the joy in his face, right? And so two hours and 15 minutes of constant tapping with a hammer, he wasn't whacking that thing, right, because to get a good cut, you want to, and it was just fascinating. And I sat there and I thought, you know what, when it comes to my prayer life, am I willing to hit 800 times? 1200 times? Or am I the type of person in my prayer life that I just try to go for the saw and get a messy cut? And cut the corners of what God promised me for victory. Now, don't hear me. Don't hear me wrong this morning. And, and some prosperity gospel that if you hit 800 times, 1200 times, or what have you, if you strike the arrow, that that that, that healing's going to come, or that check's going to show up in the mail, and the car's just going <clears> to <throat> miraculously get it fixed. Okay, God knows the need, right? God knows where He needs to be, and God ha- and God has the power to accomplish what needs to be done, right? But sometimes the answer is no, and in that. And that, hear me, we still have to trust Him. Believe in faith that in the sovereignty of God, He knows better than you and me about what needs to happen in our lives. Okay? And that's the truth we like to avoid. Because I would love to sit and say, Hey, you just keep striking, that check will show up. You just keep striking, those kids will get fixed. You just keep... Not them, the stone, okay? I don't want you to think I was thinking strike them on the head, okay? <laughs> the stone, okay? But, but 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 that that may not be the truth and the promise that God wants you to walk in. That may not be the victory that He's already planned for your life. But admit your need. Believe in faith, speak in faith, act in faith, and I Believe, Because scripture says we will walk in victory. So that's my prayer for you. Because if we wouldn't just get an arrow, because I mean, imagine the king can't strike the ground with this arrow. It's ridiculous. Right? There, I did it. would be a people. That takes the arrow of victory that we have in Christ and just keep straight. And be faithful. And when God says to pick up the bow and arrows, so we pick it up. When He says to draw it, we draw it. When He says to open the window, we open the window. When He says to shoot it, we shoot it. That we would be a people that believe that God still is who says he is and, the, and still wants to work in ways of power. I'm going to close with this. Come on, Dylan and Jim. We're about to walk into a season of this. This isn't the reason for the message, but this is a great example. Yesterday we were at the middle school over we at Gorm and uh, setting up some things, Right? And, and, and as I walked around, one thing became clear to me yesterday morning, right? Because I'm excited about this thing. I stood on that stage yesterday, looked out at 410 seats. We counted each and every one of them. Because there's a little bit of discrepancy. On, online it says 392, and there's actually 410 seats. I was saying there was like 800, 900, because I was using pastor numbers, okay? <laughs> All right? But we actually, we haven't confirmed 410 seats, right? And, I'll stand the and I was standing up there stream morning looking out, and I can imagine summit together for the first time indoors on a regular basis, right? Outdoors wasn't the same, right? Because we're in the four quadrants, and then you had the porta potties over there, and that was weird, okay? <laughs> right? But 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 inside, right? One service, all together, and like I can't help but just get excited and giddy about this thing, right? That we're, we're not need the be in a basement anymore. We're going to be in an auditorium, right? The chairs are going to be way more comfortable than these things, right? You're just saying to Travis, "Please shut up. My butt is numb. I get it. Okay? I know. I understand. I'm trying. Okay. But but as and I was talking with a couple of our volunteers yesterday, one thing became very clear: that if God doesn't tug on some of your hearts to help us set up and tear down, this thing doesn't happen. And that's not me, like, slapping your hand and saying, hey, you can set up and tear it out. Unless you heard it that way and received it that way, and the answer is yes, then by all means, that was the intent. (laughs) But I just realized, as I was talking with Dan Garish yesterday, in this auditorium, that if we don't double our team, this thing doesn't happen. See, we love the opportunity. We love the benefit. But in the church, are we doing our part for the kingdom of God? I'm not saying this is set up a teardown team, but it might be. But what's your part? In your own life, are you expecting God to do things where if He doesn't show up, false Bible space. That's my prayer for you. We're doing it as a church. And I pray that you do it as individuals for your families and for you. That's my heart for you today. We pray for you. So God, spirit in us. stirring us expectancy. God, that uh, God, an expectancy and a trust. God, maybe somebody in this room has just grown numb to trusting you. Numb to walking or believing in faith. God, I pray that you would stir us to new heights, to deeper relationships with you and each other, our families. God, to a deeper humility where we recognize a need to press in. I need to step out. I need to commit. I need to trust. God, wherever we're sitting this morning in your sovereignty, you know. God, I believe one of the most beautiful things about you is that you're doing an individual work all throughout this room as you're stirring hearts and minds back to you as a result of your word. God, I pray that if you're calling somebody to draw a bow this morning, that they would draw it. If you're calling somebody to open open a window this morning, they would open it. God, that as we're walking in victory, we would recognize that it only happens if we start by walking in obedience. So God, call us to you. In Jesus' name, amen.